Inside the Ring is sponsored by Egg Weights, Liquid IV, and Goalie. So welcome everyone. Uh, today on Inside the Ring, we have an American fighter whose amateur career was 128 wins, 14 losses. He won the gold at the Empire Games and in the New York Golden Gloves, and his pro record being 24 wins, three losses, six wins by way of knockout. In 2015, he went for the WBA Super Interim WBC and IBL middleweight titles. In 2017, he challenged for the WBL middleweight title. Please welcome Willie the Mongoose Monroe Jr. Welcome, Thanks for Willie. Having you. Thank you for being here. Um, I know I just told you previously, you are my first official guest on Inside the Ring, and I am so, so excited to have you on. I have a bunch of questions to get to, so I want to start with you from the very humble beginning. So when did you pick up your first pair of gloves and why? I'd be like six. You know, I mean, it's a family tradition. It, you know, um, uh, you know, my father was a fighter, my grandfather, all of my great uncles. You know, so it was more just like family tradition. And, uh, you know, I saw my dad fighting on TV when I was about five or six years old. So I just knew I wanted to do it then. Now, was your whole family, I know you're from Rochester, New York. Was your whole family, did they start their careers in Rochester or did you guys move around? What's the whole story with that? Grandfather's originally from where I'm at now, Florida. Okay. Uh, And him and his brothers, they're all, you know, even my Uncle Willie the Worm, who was known as a Philly fighter, they're all originally from Florida. You know, hence the Cuban background, you know, that, yeah. that the Cuban background. So they're all from Florida, but I was born in New York. My dad was born in New York. Well, right now, I am super jealous you're in Florida because it's currently snowing outside here in New Jersey. And <laughs> I am I am dying to get some sun, really. Like, I need some. Um, but I'm yeah, so glad. Nice and warm down here. Yeah, oh, my God. Don't rub it in. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm so glad you brought up your great uncle. Rest in peace. Um. But I I definitely knew of your great uncle being from Jersey as well. I'm from North Jersey. So North and South Jersey, I associate more with New York, but my Southern Jersey fans were, you know, Philly representing, but, um, you know, I knew him as one of the only three fighters that won against the great Marvin Hagler. And one thing that I don't, can you like fact check this? I'm not hundred percent sure if it's true, but there was no video or photography from that fight because there was a huge snowstorm and the film crew just didn't make it to the fight and even attendance was low. So there really isn't a lot of documentation on that fight. Is that true? Yeah, that's very true. Is there any pictures that you have that like the family kept or any video, anything? We have video. I mean, we have, I would say video, but we have pictures from uh, different fights, but not that fight particularly. So, you know, it's, it's almost like a, a true urban legend. Now. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of fight fans, too, that say that your uncle, being one of the only three, he's like the only one to do so without any sort of controversy. Like, he won it fair and square. So, you know, you have Willie the Worm Monroe, and then we have Willie the Mongoose Monroe. Right. So I have to ask, where did the name Mongoose come from? Well, uh, I was a friend of mine, uh, Sammy Torres. He gave me that name because they were calling me. This is because of my reflexes and and uh, you know the way I countered and you know uh, how fast I was. They were they at first they were calling me El Gato, El Gato, because I was in a primary primarily Hispanic gym, and there was another fighter. And this was when I was in the amateurs. There was another fighter by the name of Frankie Figueroa from uh, from the Bronx, and his name was El Gato. And I was like, well. 
I can't go with that name. And there have been so many other different like Latin fighters, like especially of like Mexican descent with that Elgato uh, mm-hmm. moniker. And I was just like, ah, no, nah, I'm not going to use Elgato. So a friend of mine, uh, Sam, was just like, yo, you're more like a mongoose. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, you know, I, only thing I had ever saw with a mongoose is Ricky Tiki Tavi. And I knew that uh, mongooses hunted snakes. So after I saw some videos, you know, of, of a mongoose and, you know, versus a snake, I was like, that's me. Say no more. Yeah, because I mean, I had to, to be honest with you, I had to look up what a mongoose was. Like, you hear that word and you're like, okay, it's just an animal. But that was yeah. like National Geographic stuff. And I was like, okay, I could definitely see the, like, the yeah. correlation between the two. There's um, so many different, um, characteristics of a mongoose you know that they, they look like nice little furry animals that that wouldn't harm anything and they're one of the few predators that actually um hunt other predators you know and, and i said i said this you know you know in the lead up to to the fight where we were supposed to fight charlo you know they they resort to themselves and all these other fighters resort to themselves as you know uh uh lions and i'm like you know lions only hunt you know, prey that that's smaller than them and they don't hunt other predators, but mongooses hunt predators. So they're killers looking to kill other killers. They're not looking, they're not killers looking to prey on something weaker than them. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually, I, I'm so glad you made that point too, because I definitely see that with you. And I saw that with your great uncle, you two are both what I would call a true fighter. I mean, we see a lot of fighters nowadays that kind of dance around and they want to kind of cherry pick little, you know, certain fighters. And it's more than just about the record. Yeah. Actual and actual sport of boxing, which I I, I hate saying even the word sport of boxing. It's a lifestyle really. Yeah. You don't play boxing. Right. So, um, I mean, that's something that we saw with your great uncle too. And you, you guys just both want to go after the best, the best by lose. Like, at least I could say, like, I did the best I could in that ring and you just leave it all out there. And I love that. Would you say that during every single fight camp, is there is there a certain schedule that you have when it comes to your fight camps? Is there a period of time that you have? Is there things that you always do or there's some things that you do preparing for certain fights that you don't do for others? Can you kind of take us through that kind of routine day in the life? Um, I mean, yeah, there's, you know, each fighter, each opponent I fight is different. You know, the routine may change. You know, if I'm fighting a fighter who comes forward, you know what I mean? We may, um, we may work on more strength and conditioning to be able to make sure that, you know, uh, we're able to meet that force. If we meet a fighter that likes to move a little bit, you know, we'll work on coming forward. You know, if we're working on a fighter who can take a good punch, you know, we'll do a lot more heavy bag work, you know what I mean, to build up the endurance in our arms and throw more punches, you know what I mean? If we're work, we're getting ready to fight a guy who has, uh, I don't know who's tricky, who may have a good head movement, you know, then there'll be more sparring and more mitt work because, you know what I mean, you have to, uh, you have to be a little bit more sharp, so you have to do more sharp work, more sparring, more, more mitt work, more double end bag work. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we modify and tailor our, our camps you know, to the best of our knowledge of whoever we're fighting. Is there a certain fight camp that you remember specifically that the amount of training you put into it was significantly different than the other fight camps that you've been in? Um, I mean, when you say different, I don't want, uh, well, I don't want to say harder, but, uh, I'll say the work that I put in for, um, I would say like my last fight, the Centeno fight, mm-hmm. 
that fight that that work was a little different because you know it was like for like the last month it was just me and my dad you know no strength and conditioning coach uh you know because of the 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 um i don't know how you say the everything that happened around the charlo fight um a lot of people from the from the team sort of dispersed and just like you know just didn't want to be part of it anymore so you know in the last you know three and a half weeks to about a month of the um the centennial fight you know um i just i just really just listened to my dad and and more or less did what he wanted me to do and uh my dad proved to me in that camp that he really really and truly knows what he's talking about and we had to go through a lot on the political side which we all know that's how boxing is ran Mm -hmm. but um you know, I probably uh, modified training the most. Then I probably, I think I sparred 14 rounds getting ready for that fight. I didn't get a lot of sparring rounds. So a lot of it was um, a lot of just technique work and going back to the basics and digging up some old stuff that really uh, allowed me to be uh, an accomplished amateur fighter and, and old stuff that me and my dad had did back when I was, you know, 13, 14 years old that I haven't done since then. So, you know, if you want to talk about what camp was probably the most different in terms of training camp as of lately, it would be that camp. Okay. And has your dad always been your coach or has there kind of been like he coached you in the beginning? There was a little bit of separation. Then you guys, he started coaching you again. Well, my grandfather started me, you know, start, you know, laid the cornerstone in my boxing career and taught me, you know, just about everything I know. And then when I was about maybe, um, 12 13 you know my dad had by then had moved back because my dad lived down here you know in tampa for a little while and by then he had moved back to rochester and um uh started his own gym and out of his gym we um you know we me and him decided to work you know he he decided to more to take more responsibility and help me develop as an amateur fighter and um when i turned about mm, 18 19 i uh, started training with his former coaches and my dad has always been there, but as far as like being the head of it, you know, he sort of just took the back seat for a while. And after the Billy Joe Saunders fight and everything I went over, I had to go through with being in London and, 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 uh, the UK, my dad just said, look, you know, um, I need to be back in your corner. You know, I, you know, I feel like I, you know, not like not as if you let me down, but like I should have been there for a lot of these things, so you wouldn't have to deal with that pressure yourself. Mm-hmm. And you know, after that, he's been back, and obviously we're on a three fight win streak. You know, that's, so that's amazing. Is there ever times? I mean, of course, having a parent be your coach, how do you separate that personal and that professional? Um, in the sense of sometimes we hear our parents speak to us like, like I, I don't agree with you. Or how do you kind of get that relationship to be strong throughout the whole training and getting ready for the fight, but also separating, like if he says something to you, not taking it as personal, but just to help grow in your career, how do you kind of balance that? It's a work in progress every day. <laughs> you know, something, it's something that, uh, you know, you never get past that point because, you know, this is a, uh, very emotional and uh like alpha male type of sport you know what i mean so when you know the champion the fighter is the alpha male and you know my dad is a former fighter you know and and that whole alpha male thing that balance is is tough and it's you know it's something that 
you know, I think each camp there'll be a different understanding. It's not like you ever just completely come to one understanding. It's, you know, each camp you'll get a different understanding. Okay. And in regards, I know you said that you only sparred about 14 rounds getting ready for your last fight. Is there, is there a specific sparring partner that you favor sparring with or do you kind of just do a rotation of different fighters who ever comes through the gym? Is there someone that you specifically like training with that you feel pushes you or kind of makes you think a little more than other sparring partners? Um, it's kind of tough for me to get sparring partners, so I just appreciate the ones that come and give me the work. You know, I just yeah. try to make them. Why do you say that it's hard for you to find sparring partners? I mean, you know, it's just, you know, it's just, I don't know. I, you know, guys don't like sparring with southpaws the same way guys don't like fighting. It's the same thing I did with in the business. You know I mean? Guys don't want to fight lefties. Guys don't want to spar with lefties. Um, you know, guys don't want to spar with you, especially like in front of some of their friends, if they're kind of, you know how that goes. It's a, you know, it's an egotistical sport. So, you know, you, you get that funny stuff, you know, but I just appreciate, um, anyone who will give me the work when I'm trying to get ready for, you know, my dream, you know, sparring good days and bad days happen in sparring, just like anything else, you know, but those are all oh, an accumulative factor and being great and winning, you know, the, the fight that you're preparing for. So, you know, some guys take it a little personal, others don't, you know, um, I try not to take it personal. I just try to learn every day. I love that. And um, you, you've taken on some of the best, like Triple G, Billy Joe Saunders, and you just recently won your last fight. Congratulations. Um, who are you looking to fight next? What's your next steps in your boxing career? Uh, if I had it my way, I would get my, my shot at Canelo. You know, um, you know they. Um, I, everyone knows the story. You know, 2016, you know, they called me on a three and a half week notice to fight Gabriel Rosado. And then they said, if you win, you'll get Canelo in December. You know what I mean? And they were so arrogant enough to put that out there because number one, they felt I couldn't beat Rosado. Number two, they felt I definitely couldn't beat him on a three and a half week notice in a 12 round championship fight. Mm -hmm. And I went in there and did what they thought was the, you know, the impossible or the unthinkable. And I just think off the merit of me even taking a fight that big, you know, with that much pressure on me with a three and a half week notice, I just think that should be, you know, honor, you mm -hmm. know, you know, that's, that's, um, but you know, the business isn't uh, a business of honor. So, you know, that's what we get. And if not Canelo, you know, we'll get the, uh, we're looking for, I wanted to fight Chris Eubank. I wanted to fight Chris Eubank way back. And like my dad wanted to fight Chris Eubank's dad. Back in <laughs> I swear to God. And wow. I think uh, it was Mickey Duff that wouldn't allow the fight to happen. And, you know, a lot of the British fighters are, you got to give it to them. They have great management and they're very protected. A lot of those guys in the UK, they're very protected. You know, even when I came over there to fight Billy Joe Saunders, like I didn't, that wasn't a fight that was given to me off the strength of anything. Like I had to sit on a bench for a year. And the only reason why I got that fight is because his original opponent, Avtendil Hortzice, got caught up on a RICO charge. Mm. So that was never a fight that was really, you know, uh, we're going to give Willie Monroe this fight. You know, it was a fight that like, all right, you know what I mean? We'll, we'll do this for now and, and we'll um, make sure everything is in our advantage since we have to fight Willie Monroe. And boy, was it, you know, but I'm a fighter at heart. 
You know what I mean? Uh, if I could go back in time and change it, I wouldn't because it's put me in a prime position. But one thing I noticed about those fighters from the UK, the Billy Joes, the, you know what I mean? Like his guys that Billy Joe has fought since he's had a world title. If I would have fought those guys in America, I would have been, you know, castrated. I would have been crucified for fighting the type of guys that he gets away with fighting. Same thing with uh, uh, Chris Eubank. You know, I, I tried to fight. Uh, we, we tried to get Devrinchenko. We couldn't get him. We tried to get Matt Korobov. He wouldn't fight us, but he fought uh, uh, Chris Eubank. You know, um, we tried to get all of these guys, man. And, they, you know, it's just like these sparring partners. They don't want to fight a southpaw. They don't want to fight a tricky guy. They don't want to fight a guy with supreme confidence. You know what I mean? They want to fight a guy that they can look at and tell, okay, I'm going to go in here and win. You know, I mean, it was the same. It's the same thing with, uh, like, you know, uh, the, the Charlo dude. You mm -hmm. know, what I mean, he fighting these blown up junior middleweights, and then he finally fought. He fought Devonchenko, but this is after Devonchenko had been beat up on seriously by Triple G and and Danny Jacobs. You know what I mean? And you, and then you can go and look at what happened between Gabe Rosado and Danny Jacobs. Danny Jacobs, a two time world champion, had eight, ten weeks to get ready for Gabe Rosado. Look what happened. You know what I mean? Before I even came close to getting a title, I fight, you know, uh, well, I had a title opportunity, but I fight Gabriel's out on a three and a half week notice and look at the margin. You know, if you go to and look at the, the all three judges had it, two judges had it, nine, three, one judge had it, 10, two, you know, so how can a former world champion, a guy that's, you know, known as is this guy, he beat that guy. He's a world champion twice going there against a Gabe Rosado and, ba and barely make it out with a split decision. And a guy like myself can be called on a three-and-a-half-week notice, and I go in there and just straight outclass a guy. They don't want those type of problems. They don't want to fight that type of guy because they know I'm always ready. They know I have a tremendous skill set, and they know that if they don't have, if they don't have the, 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 the political barriers and the political you know, uh, power that, such guys like a Triple G or a uh, or a Billy Joe Saunders has, and this is to take nothing away from them because they're both fighters. But people know that if we don't have those type of reservations inside of our, you know, uh, our business, we're not going to beat that guy. You know what I mean? Then they try to label you as a high risk, low reward, but then they get out here on TV and or in these interviews and act tough. You know what I mean? Like if 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 you're acting tough and, and you're such a good fighter, why are you why are your people telling my people, nah, that's 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 too much of a risk for us. We don't their own people don't believe in them. You know what I mean? Their own management doesn't believe in them. Because when my management reaches out to them and say, Hey, let's make a fight with Chris Eubanks. Hey, let's make a fight with Devrachenko. Hey, let's make a fight with Matt Korobar. All of their people say, nah, you know, we don't, that's too risky. We don't want to, well, I thought Willie Monroe, I only have six knockouts. I'm not like, why is that a risk? Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's an interesting, I mean, do they really say uh, it's too risky or is it, do they not even answer or like, how does... We tried to get Devon, we tried to get the Sowland brothers or whoever that was, the Sowland group to get us to fight with, um, with, with since, uh, um, Eubank has went back with them. The only thing we've heard is, ah, uh, that's kind of risky. Uh, we tried to get um, Devrinchenko. His management told, you know, another close friend, and I got the screenshot email, we don't want him fighting any southpaws. Like, we, that's too risky. He's not good with southpaws. We don't want him, 
you know, you know, we just, especially not a southpaw like Willie Monroe is just too risky. Matt Corboff, people turned me down off the rip. Like, nope, we don't want to fight. And you got receipts too. So, well, I mean, I, I had put um, a questionnaire up on my boxing page asking if you guys have any questions or comments that I can send to uh, Willie Monroe, send them my wife. And I had gotten like five or six people telling me, look, I don't have a question, but I just want to let you know, in my opinion, he's one of the more underrated boxers of this time. And he just need, he needs, he needs that Eubank fight or he needs to fight Canelo, Charlo. Like everyone is rooting for you to get that big fight. And including myself, like I had told you before we started recording, I've been following your career for years now and you have so many legendary highlights that I mean, there's some fights that you have that I wanted to look up that I couldn't even find online. I mean, there, there needs to be more exposure for you. And I hope that you get that in 2021. I pray that I do too. You know, the, the boxing business is a lot like the music business. You know, you could be, you know, like, you know, it was almost like one of my favorite artists, Nipsey Hussle. You know what I mean? Like this dude was a far better rapper and he was doing way more for people, you know, with what he had earned than any other rapper. You know what I mean? But they didn't want to give him that opportunity. They didn't want to give him that shine. They didn't want to give him that, that notoriety. You know what I mean? And, and it's sad, you know, the politics of, of this thing. And, you know, I get it. You know, this is people's jobs. It's their livelihood. It's their money. You know what I mean? But I, I truly believe that if I just keep working and, and doing what I'm supposed to do and living my life the right way, that um, it'll happen. You know, I'll be one of those stories of a guy, you know, who uh, kind of like Marvin Hagler. You know what I mean? Ironically, my uncle beat Marvin Hagler, but, you know, Marvin Hagler had to go through so much stuff before he was considered. You know what I mean? So I get it. You know, I mean, I get it. It's, it's just my job. You know, my, my motto and my moniker as a fighter is brick by brick, you know, and how can I express that and explain that, you know, after my career is over, if I haven't truly had to live that. So well, I, I get it. Yeah. I think just like Nipsey too, is like you are self-made, like you can yeah. at least rest your head at night knowing that you have done everything in your power. You have a team that you can trust that's going to bat for you. And you also have a lot of true boxing fans that have seen the work you put in. And hopefully, especially with this interview and the interviews you have coming forward, um, a lot more people can speak out and say, look, why isn't this happening? Like you have made a lot of valid points and hopefully that gets across the right people. Thank you. So, Thank you for the um, platform to do this. Of course, of course. So um, we've talked about your uh, fight camps, but along with that comes the food that you eat. And I know that you are a fellow plant-based athlete. So I kind of want to get into a little depth about that because I started going plant-based um, when I was trained to fight over a year ago. And I could say for myself, it changed the whole way that I look right. at life and how I operate every day. So can you tell us how you came to find plant-based diet and how you transitioned into that? Well, um, my strength and conditioning coach, uh, Lee Davis, he's been plant-based for over six or seven years. You know, he always, you know, would preach it to me, you know, we'll get away from the meat, get away from the cheese and stuff. And, you know, um, I tried it a few times and felt good, but what the ultimate the thing that happened that made me make my ultimate decision is I went on a, a fast. I went on a, 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 you know, in the Bible, it's called the Daniel fast. And uh, I fasted away from meat for 21 days. 
And um, after 21 days, you know, me, I was excited. Like, ah, I had to get to eat some, some, some meat again. I went back to eat some chicken, threw up all over the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said, maybe this, maybe my body has to get used to this again. So I waited a few days and uh, I went to this spot in my town called Country Sweet. And they have like this, like the best sauce, like ever, like <laughs> on chicken or anything. This sauce is amazing. And uh, I, I went and grabbed me some Country Sweet, threw up all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like maybe a week later, my wife made some pan-seared chicken. I, actually, I walked in the house. She was cooking some pan-seared chicken and she had cooked some bacon and the smell of it made me so nauseous. I was just like, yo, I'm not touching meat again. And this was right around the time of the Rosado fight. Wow. Yeah, this happened in like July leading into the, this was before I even got there because I fought Rosado September of that year. And this all happened in July of that year. And I was like, yeah, I'm just not eating meat again. Mm -hmm. And after like 2000, maybe the summer of 2017, I tried meat again just to, you know, because I wasn't, very well educated on it to know like what would what I, what I could replace it with. So I was just eating stuffing myself with a lot of bread and vegetables. So the carbs had got me up in weight and stuff. And uh, I tried the soy products. wasn't very happy with the soy. And I you know soy isn't as you know from what I've read and, and my research wasn't healthy either. Mm-hmm. So I tried to start eating meat again, and my body just and my body just wouldn't wouldn't take it. It just wouldn't respond to it. The, they were responding to it, but not the way I like it. <laughs> so, and that's um, from chicken, too, not even red meat. Like, chicken, at least, is supposed to be a little more okay yeah. on your stomach. So I can't even imagine if you tried red meat. So, yeah, I know. And I, I've tried, um, since then, you know, we live in Florida, so I, I've tried, like, some groupers since I've been down here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm still, I'm just not, I, I'm just, like, I'm not one of those people that, like, like I tried it out of let me see, like if if it wasn't like I'm not like a person that's like oh I need a meat substitute or something that tastes I just, I don't even miss it. Yeah. You know, like I I don't even miss it. I don't miss the consistency of it. I don't miss the taste of it. I I don't miss it. So now I'm just completely. Uh, it took a while for me to let go of like cheese. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like having cheese on a sandwich is uh, you know is um. It's almost mandatory. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, for me, I um, I now, instead of cheese now, I do the nutritional yeast, which mm-hmm. I feel has definitely helped giving kind of that cheese sort of flavor and consistency, but it's vegan. <laughs> My favorite right now is uh, the veggie wraps inside of like, inside of the, um, the, the, the spinach wrap. It's, it's an actual spinach wrap. Ooh, but you put, so good. Uh, spinach bread wrap, but you put the, like, I just put like, I'll load it up with like peppers olives jalapenos uh uh the the spinach or like the the garden um what do they call it the garden mix where it has like the 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 uh the lettuce in there that's uh it's like purple i don't know if it's lettuce it's, it's a garden mix you yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i'll load it up with that man a little bit of uh i, I have me some country sweet a little <laughs> bit of maybe some uh some honey mustard, and I'll, I'll have two of those and some and some uh, some kettle cooked chips, man. And I'll be the happiest person in the world. And at this point, now that fills you up, right? Like you're like, yeah. oh, this actually like I'm good for the day. Like, and you don't feel heavy, you don't feel bloated. Yeah. So when you went from that t- that 21 day fast, it was just a meat fast, or did you actually fast everything? It was just a meat fast, you know. In the Bible, it's called the Daniel fast, where he fasted away from meat and different things like that. So 
uh, like nuts and meat. And uh, I just, I just went, it was just vegetables, water, fruit. Um, occasionally I would, I would dip into some, uh, some, like some thicker bread, but I kept everything at more or less like a, uh, a 12 grain bread. I wanted to keep the grains there mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, just the starches and stuff, you know, with, with the starches on top of fruit, you get sugar on top of stuff. And, you know, it's just, it's not good. <laughs> so no. I, I went with the 12 bread and, um, yeah, and no, I was, it was a good, uh, fast, you know, it wasn't, it, it was just a, you know, one of those things, a spiritual thing. It wasn't, I didn't even do it to like try to start a journey in being a vegan or, or plant-based. It was more of a spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from a, you know, you know, pretty uh, strong religious background and I'm no longer very religious, but you know what I mean? The teachings of, of, of fasting and, and, um, and praying are, are big in my life. So I just decided to do that for 21 days to try to get, you know, um, a closer connection with God. And, and I think God's connection, my connection with God was telling me to leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the confirmations I got from that fast was just to completely leave me alone. Now, when I did my fast, where I just, I just drink water and tea, by the third day or fourth day, you were having like veggies and things like that. Were you still, like, were you getting cravings by like the third, fourth day? We're like, oh, can I do this? Or you yeah. start questioning what you're doing? Yeah, you, yeah. You sort of like trying to find reasons of, well, maybe if, or, but you just fight them. You just fight them because those, you know, when you're talking religion, those are called spiritual battles. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So when you learn how to kill your own appetite for a certain thing, you know what I mean? And, you know, this is off topic of boxing, but, you know, um, your, uh, your stomach is considered your first brain, really. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why everybody's like, oh, I had a gut feeling. I had a gut feeling. So if you can, uh, you know, moderate and, and really uh, discipline yourself on what you put in your stomach, from that point on, you're also disciplining on what you put in your brain. Yeah. So, you know, if you can, um, if, if you can, like you did, a fast with just water and tea and kill those hunger pains, where you're also bringing your, your mind and your, your spirit closer to source to get a, a different understanding of what's going on out here in the natural world. So I just have a different understanding of fasting. I watch all these crazy YouTube videos and go down know, I, read, the hole. I read a lot of books, so. I'll go philosophical on you if you have me on here too long. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this. What type, of, what type of books do you like reading? Um, I try to read one book for training camp. Okay. And, uh, and even if not in camp, I read. Um, my favorite book that I've read as of lately is Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. Oh. It's, uh, that book is, uh, I think that book is, is, once you read that book, every other book is just brain food you know it's, it's, it's exercise and, and food for the brain but I read uh, Outwitting the Devil uh, I say one and a half times because when I got halfway through the book I got to a very special part in it and I called my wife while I was in training camp I said I'm putting this book down and uh, we're going to read it together because it forced me to be accountable of everything and it scared me you know what I mean? <laughs> the reality that's how that's how deep that book is, and me and my wife read it together. So I always say I read it one and a half time. Um, a book, a book called named Relentless by uh, Roger. I forget his name, but I know he was like the personal 
Ryan gave me this book. He was a personal, like, one-on-one mental and physical coach from Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Wade, um, uh, 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 Charles Barkley. And um, the book is like, uh, oh, man, I'm, I'm mad that I forget his name. But I'm reading that book. Um, what other book have I read that I like? I've read a lot of books, but books that I really like. Um, I read the uh, by Rick Strassman, DMT. Oh, okay. That goes okay. into a crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy world. We would need to have our own other podcast to be talking about all that. <laughs> yeah, I have to go over to, yeah. I have, both will have to go over to like Joe Rogan or something to talk about. <laughs> exactly. Um, but actually, I'm, uh, if you have a, if you have room for reading one book at some point, it's called High Performance Habits. I'm like a little bit into it. But um, his name's Brendan Burchard, and he has, like, this high-performance institute that he works with, like, the highest-performance people statistically, and he tries Mm. to figure out what are the best ways for people to start building a healthy routine into their life, and just the exercises, the writing prompts, like, I'm doing them now, and... It's life changing these books. Like now I can't read a fictional book. Like I'm like, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my, my brain. Like I could be reading something that's helping me with my career at this point. Right. So if you are looking for another book after you're finished reading that one, high performance habits, it's a really really good book. Of course. We have to connect books, man. We have to share. We got to start a little book club or something. I love that. No, we really should because I'm, I'm trying to do once a month. I go a new book every month. That's like my 2021 goal. And ever since like, I, start, I tried starting it in 2020, since there was like not a lot else to do. And I started right. meditating a lot. So I meditate for about 20 minutes and then read my book. And the way I would attain that information, such a, such a game changer. It really was. So now that I started reading these books, like the way I, the way I just view the world is right. different than, I mean, I'm assuming you meditate too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how did you get into meditating? What kind of, what kind of made you start to meditate? Actually, it was my, my brother, my younger brother, who's like also my like personal, you know, life advisor. It's crazy. My little brother is smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> smarter than me. But, um, you know, he, um, my brother, uh, you know, he lives in LA and, you know, he's around a lot of, you know, the, it's big out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, he just kept telling me, bro, you got to meditate, you know, you, you got to meditate and ease your mind and just, and I'm like, man, I pray and meditate. He said, I, you know, not necessarily just prayer because, you know, coming from Christian background, there's a, there's a big difference between prayer and meditation. Which there you should know? be, though. It really is all the same. Yeah, it, it, it should be. But I would say the, um, the characteristics of how it's done, you know what I mean? And, and more smooth meditation now and, and just getting off to yourself and just ridding your mind of different things and using your mind as a, uh, as a tool to create rather than a tool to, uh, uh, like follow or like not, not necessarily follow, but like be reactive. You know what I mean? Like, you don't to, to be proactive and create rather than reactive to whatever's going on out here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, once I found out that I could do that through meditation and, and like just getting off to myself and, and, uh, cause you need that, that that time to yourself to to rebalance and and, and to be 100 percent yourself because when you're like i have kids i have a wife i you know what i mean i have different demands of my career and different demands of different people and let's not talk about the pandemic and everything that's going on that demands a lot of everyone 
So just finding those moments to still love to yourself and truly come back into one with yourself is, um, you know, that, that meditative property is, is beautiful and it's helped me advance as a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you believe in like, do you do the guided meditations or are you at the point you can just sit there and just go right into meditation? Is there? So I haven't done a guided meditation, but I definitely get there. You know, I'll wake up at five, you know, sometimes 445 at that, what they call ungodly hour. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I have a mat and I just go out on my porch and I just, you know, breathe and, and bring my breathing down and, and bring my heart rate down if it's up. You know, and um, I just focus on the things that I truly want and, and, and I let the quietness guide me rather than, you know, uh, someone speaking. Mm-hmm. And the, because the, the beginning of it all is your mind. And, you know, whether you have guided meditation or not, if you can't quiet your mind, it's not going to work. That's how I feel personally. That's my personal opinion about it. You know, and just being able to quiet your mind and, and not deal with the rigmarole and the racket of everything going on. And be able to find that one little spot where you can work from. It's like a seed. Yeah. You know what I mean, a, a seed grows up to be a tree or, or a full-blown plant. But it's that little, that small seed that creates all of that. So once you find that that small seed of, of quietness to, and, and, and um, focus and you put whatever you want in that seed, then it starts to germinate and grow that way. And the more you meditate and the more you stay to yourself, that's uh, maintenance, you know what I mean? That's, uh, that's watering the plant. That's making sure it has enough sunlight. All of those things that come along with growing that seed comes along with uh, the, the everyday properties of continuously doing that. And it becomes fun. You start yeah. to perform off to yourself, some, you know? Let me tell you, like I, I, for a long time, because being a millennial, well, like I'm always on my phone. I noticed right. the past couple of years, there's a lot of times I'm on autopilot with people in conversation. Right. And it wasn't until my boyfriend brought up to my attention of like, did you even listen to what I was saying? And I was like, I was hearing you, but I wasn't listening to what you were exactly. actually saying. Exactly. And when we started, we both picked up meditation. I, I picked it up first and I tried to get him into it. And at first he's like, I have all these thoughts in my head. And right. I taught him the practice of what I would do is I would set myself in a moment of time where it's complete blackness and I take that thought that I'm thinking and I put it into a little envelope and I chip it away right. for that moment in time. And that helped clear my mind. And the first time I actually had an empty conscious, like an empty mind, was the moment I was like, this shit works. <laughs> like, this actually is life changing. And ever since yeah. I've been doing that practice too, it's, it's such a beautiful practice. And um, I'm assuming this is something that you would love your kids to pick up as they get older and they start dealing with more real life Situations and problems. Actually, I, I try. I, I I did some uh, envisioning and stuff with my kids, and my daughter brought it up to me the other day. I was like, "Remember we did that?" And I was like, "I told you guys it worked." I would wake them up when the pandemic hit. You know, no one was in school, and you know, jobs were closed, and the world was just quiet when it first hit. You know, um, I, I, I'm a I'm a big you know prayer guy. That's you know that's I asked the background I come from. So I told my family, I said, "Well, you know what? This is time for us to get closer." I said, so I'm going to wake everybody up at like 7.30 in the morning. We're all going to go on the porch. We're going to pray. We're all going to go right on our porch. And we're all just going to sit there and we're going to be quiet. I said, I'm gonna use, we're going to use this time to teach my youngest, our youngest, to like sort of just calm our energy. She has so much energy. She's running from, you know what I mean? She has an older brother, older sister. Me and my wife are always running around. So she's had so much energy. I said, we're going to use this time to calm her down and really focus on what we want. I said, we're going to talk about the things that we really want as individuals. 
And then we're going to go and sit for about 10 minutes and we just have to be quiet because my youngest, when we would get into this meditative state, she would start talking, start touching us. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I look, once she started that, just sit there and act as if she's not doing it. Learn how to remove yourself as if it's not even going on. Mm-hmm. Think of something else. Think deeper into what you want. And it got so good till we got to the point to where she fell into a flow. Like, you know, if I keep touching them and bothering them, like, they're, they don't care. They're in it. So I'm going to sit here and be quiet with them. And one day we were at, uh, at, at, at the park. And they were, you know, my son was talking loud. My, and he had came outside. He was like, you know, the PlayStation isn't working the way he wanted to work. It wouldn't accept the disc or something. And uh, me and my wife were planning on, uh, we had just, we were just about to sign a, to move into our first home before the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about that and um, we were just all just like talking about things that were going wrong. And at, at that moment, I said, yo, let's stop talking about that. Let's talk about what we want to be right. I said, so imagine yourself. I said, imagine us in our brand new big house. I said, get quiet. Imagine us in our brand new big house. You know, Gabriel's in his room. The PlayStation works. Denasia, you're in your room. Gabriel's not bothering you. Riley's not bothering you. I said, mommy's working or in the kitchen or maybe doing some of her sewing. I said, I'm, I may be at the gym or I said, just think of it. I said, I'm gonna give us a, a setting and let's just meditate on it for a couple minutes. We sat there for all of maybe three or three to five minutes. You know what I mean? And it seemed kind of corny. And I said, all right, kids, what do you guys feel? And it was like, well, we hope it happens. You know, it was all like a little smart talk. Mm-hmm. We went into the house. The PlayStation started working. My oldest was in her room by herself. My youngest was in the kitchen eating. My wife was working on uh, tax papers because we were doing our, our taxes because this was, this was March. This is around when the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And I just told my wife, I said, you see this? You know, she was kind of confused. She said, see what? I said, everything that we just talked about in the backyard when we were doing our little meditating, I said, it's happening now. I said, the PlayStation works. Gabriel's in there being quiet. The PlayStation works. Denise is in her room by herself, enjoying herself without, you know, because she's a little older. You know I mean, she's 13. She's 14 now, but she was 13 at the point. And I said, Riley's in there enjoying herself eating in the kitchen. You're working on these, these tax documents that we have to get done with no problem. And, I, and she was like, wow, it worked. I said, like, yo, we meditated on something for three to five minutes. And the universe turned around and gave it to us. We're not in the big house that we imagine ourselves in. But the universe turned around and gave it to us immediately simply because we meditated on it for three to five minutes. I said, now imagine what happens if we all pray and meditate on the same thing daily. That's on manifestation. Like that is... And I mean, and I think that you bring up a good point. Like, oh, well, we didn't, we didn't go into the big house. Well, it's, it's not, it's, I feel like the universe works or you could say God or whoever, whoever you believe in is, they don't give you what you want. They give you what you need in that moment. And I think that that was like a prime example of how that practice works. I've just planted, I, uh, because when I was, uh, when I was a kid, like, you know, my grandfather's from down here, my grandmother's from North Carolina. You know, and they, and, uh, they grew up like, you know, pretty country, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, like in our backyard, even up in New York, like we grew our own corn, collard greens, mustard greens, tomatoes, peppers, onions, you name it. We had it in our backyard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of kids that I grew up with and a lot of kids that, you know, are my contemporaries who are my same age now, they don't, they know nothing about that. 
you yeah. know, and I, like, it's, for me, it's like, yo, y'all don't know about growing your own food? And they're like, nah, we've never done that. So, like, I planted my, uh, you know, I have an orange tree growing in my, in my, uh, in my kitchen right now. And oh, uh, I, just tried, I just tried it out of, uh, you know, because I believe in love. I think love is what creates these things. You know, love, love is, is, God is love. The, the universe is love. Everything is, is, is created. Anything created, you know, in this world is created from some type of love. You know, and, and you know, we, I put the seeds in there and I just said, look, if, if they grow, they grow. If they don't, they don't. But I just want to see. And uh, I went to this Jamaican spot and grabbed uh, some some oranges with seeds in them because all of the fruit these days are seedless. Yeah. You know, which means they're not organic, which means they didn't come from God because anything that God, this is what I noticed from seeds and, and, and fruits and vegetables. Anything that God gives you from a seed will render trillions from that one seed. And if it doesn't, or if it doesn't have a seed, then it's not from God. And you look at it like this. If, if you plant a seed and you get one watermelon, that watermelon will grow and it will have thousands of seeds in it. Well, you can plant that thousands of seeds and those thousand watermelons will have thousands of seeds in them, so forth and so on. That's how God works. Whatever, whatever seeds you plant grows abundantly if you, you know, uh, 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 what do you say, keep up the maintenance on it, if, if you nurture it. Mm-hmm. So... Through that and planting that in my kitchen, I'm trying to teach my kids that whatever seeds you plant, whether it's a thought, whether it's uh, the first move of writing something down that you want, you nurture it, you nurture it, you nurture it, and it'll grow in that fashion. So, um, but I, I, only reason why I said that, I'm sorry I got off completely off topic, but I was just explaining that one seed can render so many different things. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. And I kind of want to get to know you a little more on a, on a personal note. So I have what uh, a one minute speed round game, and I call this okay. the unboxing the boxer. So I'm going to okay. be asking you for one minute, a bunch of random questions. Now I'm telling you, they're like random questions and you have to okay. kind of like answer them as fast as you can. Like don't even think about it. Like, Whatever, whatever's meant for you to say, you're going to say it right out, uh, right out there. Okay. Whatever we can do in one minute. If you were to be a fruit or veggie, what would you be and why starting now? I would be a orange. Is that because you're growing one? Uh, I love oranges. Oranges, uh, as a whole, once you break them down, they have so many different pieces you know, what I mean, they can be shared amongst, you know, different, you know, it's not like one of those things where you have to work to share it. You know, it's not like an apple or 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 a or watermelon where you have to cut to share it. Once you open it, it can be shared with different people. Um, I love the way oranges taste. Each each piece has its own seed in it, you know, so I would be an orange. Okay. All right. If you weren't a pro boxer, what would your career choice be? If I wasn't a pro boxer, my career choice would probably be a firefighter firefighter okay is there yeah. sort of influence of that I, just i wanted to be a firefighter when i was younger um i actually passed the civil service exam in my in my city with the highest natural score of an 89 oh wow there's a few, a few other guys that got scores higher than me to like 93 94 but it was because they had um like military credits or other credits but i passed with the highest natural score and um i don't know it's just be Anything that allows me to be a hero. What's your favorite sports team? 
My favorite sports team is the LA Lakers. Everybody knows that. Anybody that knows me know that I'm an LA Laker fan. And favorite food? Favorite food? Can't be a dessert. Oh yeah, that's food. I'll give I, I'll give you two. My favorite food to eat on a regular is pancakes. I love pancakes. Okay. And my favorite my favorite dessert is a uh, cheesecake. Ooh, that sounds really good. Uh, favorite movie? Favorite movie? Uh, a Quiet Place. That's so good. Oh, I love that. I love the first one. I'm excited to see the second one too. Yeah. Uh, favorite musical artist? Favorite musical artist, Michael Jackson. All right. Favorite boxer besides you? Favorite boxer besides would probably be Roy Jones Jr. That's my, that's the, that's my guy. Okay. Uh, biggest fear? Biggest fear, having fear. All right. Favorite holiday? Favorite holiday, Easter. Things that annoy you the most? Stupid people. Your favorite animal? <laughs> favorite animal? Uh, I can't say a mongoose just because I'm a mom. <laughs> uh, favorite, like like a pet or just like a favorite animal? Anything, any animal. Uh, probably an, uh, an eagle, anything that can fly. Okay. Um, favorite store to shop in? Any type of store. Favorite store to shop in? Uh, Wegmans. Okay, <laughs> there's a lot of options in Wegmans. That's a that's a fancy fancy food store. You go in there for the whole experience. It's not even just you walk in there for one thing. Yep. Um, what other one? Oh, what was your first job ever? First job ever? Well, there's two. Uh, first job, and I know that's funny. Like a two first. My first real like first job where I actually got a paycheck. You know, what I mean, like on the books, mm-hmm. um, I worked as a, a, a youth advocate. So it was more like one of those program jobs. It wasn't okay. really. But my first job to where I like actually it was like I went, sat in the application, went and got a job was KFC. Oh, wow. And now you're a plant-based athlete. How the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your favorite song at the moment? My favorite song at the moment is... Uh, Screens by Joel Ortiz. Me and you were just talking about, you got to go listen to that song. It's funny you would ask that because I just, I, I was going to tell you this. Uh, Joel Ortiz has this song called Screens. He's basically talking about like, like in the beginning of the song, he says like, my son comes home. He has no intention of going outside and playing. Like all of us kids from like the eighties, I was born in 86. So it was eighties and nineties babies. We went outside, we wanted to ride our bikes and kids these days, they just want to be on screens. I don't see any kids outside playing. I don't see them doing any. I just see kids on phones and, and tablets. I, I believe Socrates had a, his Socratic, the Socratic belief. He believed that the perfect makeup of a child was education, arts, and, and, and an, athe- an athletic endeavor. You know what I mean? Those three, those three are art, you know, like a, whether you play an instrument, sing, or dance, that would be your art, some type of athletic endeavor. And education is what made up the, you know, the, the perfect child. And I truly believe in that in, in, the, in that Socratic belief. Well, I can definitely see you're instilling that in your kids, too. So that's awesome. Yeah. All right. What, if you have a middle name, what is your middle name? Uh, Lee. Lee? L-E-E? Yep. My grandfather's whole name is my middle name. So my grandfather's name is Lee Edward Monroe. My name is Willie Lee Edward Monroe. Oh, wow. So it's a family yeah. tradition. I love that. Yeah. 
Um, what's one superpower you would like to have if you could choose one? To fly. What's your favorite TV show? Favorite TV show? Um, Desig- right now? Mm-hmm. Designated Survivor. What's that? You got to go on Netflix. It's a, go on Netflix and watch it. It's, it's crazy. You have me writing down everything. Designated Survivor? Yes, on Netflix. That okay. show is, oh my goodness, yeah. All right, I'm, I'm going to watch that. I'll let you know. We have a book club and a Netflix TV show club. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your favorite snack? My favorite snack? Who? Mm-hmm. This could also be pre uh, plant-based athlete. If you have a non-vegan snack, that oh, no. uh, uh, my favorite snack. It's got to be like some type of little like everybody know like I love little Debbie's and like Hostess snacks. So like mm-hmm. anything in that realm, if I could get my hands on like a Hostess snack or like the little orange cupcakes or something like that, yeah. Okay, like the Twinkies, the Yodels, uh, the Dogs yeah. or something. The zingers, the little raspberry zingers. Oh, my goodness. Are you going to make me go buy some soon? <laughs> <laughs> they got to be your next sponsors for your next fight. They have to be. <laughs> Wearing on your boxing shorts and everything. Uh, I know all of the... <laughs> I know all of the, uh, the jingles and everything from the Hostess and Little Debbie commercials. <laughs> oh, the, wait, do you sing too? Not anymore. Not anymore? Oh, well, we can bring that career back and get a little, a little new jingle going for 2021. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, last question for you, because I know you got okay. a lot of stuff you got to do. Country you would love to visit? A country I would love to visit would probably be Egypt. Egypt, okay, with the pyramids and kind of... Yeah, I got a chance to go to Mexico to see the pyramids of Chichen Itza. Now I want to see the pyramids of Giza. How was it when you went to those pyramids? Did you, like, feel any different energy, or was it... Yeah, I was just about to say very weird. Yeah? Very... There was definitely an energy there. I don't know if it was my mind playing tricks on me because of everything I know Mm -hmm. about that, or if it's just an energy there because of what's truly there. You know, like that was uh, the Mayan ruins was I went, me and my wife went in 2016. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's probably one of the most memorable trips I went on. The pyramids of uh, Chichen Itza was that whole area was just I felt I, I felt a, a, a vibration there that wasn't something you feel every day. I'll say that much. all of the pyramids um, line up with True North. So if you yeah. were to take all of the pyramids where they are on earth, you could draw a line around, a perfect line from them all the way around the earth. And they all line up, they line up with true north. So it's, it's uh, and like the pyramids of uh, Giza and Egypt, um, they all have the, on a, on a more smaller scale, obviously they're bigger than us, but on a, on a smaller scale of the universe, they give you the, uh, the cardinal dimensions of the earth. They give you, um, how uh, like uh, if you divide one of the numbers or something by 72, it has a significant meaning and uh, of the procession of the equinox and the ages and how the, 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 the sun and, and our solar system travels about the universe because we, we come from different ages. Like, so you've heard of ages, right? Mm-hmm. So like, like different um, eons that we've been in, it's like every two, 25,150 years or something like that. So they give, like, even in the Bible, I, you don't mind me going philosophical here, do you? Go for it. I love it. I love it. 
So like even in a Bible, they talk about like we travel about the uh in the universe, we travel throughout the 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 the, the twelve zodiacs. Each our solar system travels about uh the twelve zodiacs, which is why like you go in the Bible and they talk about you know the twelve tribes of Judah Judah and the, the, the twelve disciples, all of these things have connection and meaning to the universe and they um the Bible talks about three two movements three movements and four shadows of fourth. So we travel through the, you know how we go through the, um, through the year, we go through the, 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 the Zodiacs, we go Capricorn, Aquarius. Well, in the procession of the equinox, the universe, our solar system travels backwards as opposed to how we do ours, which makes sense because if you look at that, that creates time. The gears in a watch, they all travel opposite ways to give you the turning of a watch. Yeah. So, that's sort of what that's if you look at it like that, that's sort of what, you know, our our um, solar system and the, and the and the, the solar system that we're in, what it does as opposed to the universe. So um, if you go to if you, if you read in the Bible and it, they talk about when Moses came down from uh, I think it was Mount Sinai and he saw everyone worshiping a, a golden bull calf and, you know, um, you know, he, he, he smashed the tablets and broke the new law pretty much and, and said, like, you know, he, he instructed in the Old Testament, instructed everyone to purify and pretty much kill themselves and purify themselves because they were worshiping a golden bull calf. And a lot of people like, oh, it was an idol God. It was it wasn't an idol God. The golden bull calf represented the constellation Taurus because the constellation, the bull. Now, if you go backwards in the constellation, you go Taurus. Aries, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn. Mm -hmm. And the next, the next age we went into were, was the age of Aries, which, uh, is the age of what? The Aries is the Ram. Mm -hmm. So this is why in that time blow the Ram's horn. And this is why Abraham, Abram, AB means father, father of Ram, a father of the time of the Ram is instructed to, well, I think in the Bible to kill his son, which he didn't do. To create the Passover of the next age. So you come from the golden bull calf, which was Taurus. Then you go into the uh, the next age, which is Aries, the ram. And then we come into what would be next, Pisces. Mm-hmm. Nice. So after you Taurus and go into Aries, going backwards now, mm-hmm. you go into Pisces. Well, Pisces creates the solar personification of where the sun is in the time of Jesus. This is why fish symbology is big around Jesus. Jesus, uh, you know, uh, he he fed five thousand with two fish and bread. Why two fish? Pisces. Pisces is 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 uh, symbolized by two fish swimming in the opposite direction. When Jesus was walking uh, along a path in Galilee, he befriended two fishermen. You know, if you look on the back of people's cars, you'll see the the Jesus fish. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is Jesus is. The sun is just showing that the sun, S-O-N, the son of God, or S-U-N, the son of God, its solar personification is in the is in the time of Pisces. And Jesus' disciples asked him, you know, after the next Passover, where shall we go? And Jesus tells them, you know, don't be afraid. I'll be with you until the end of the eon or until the end of the world or until the end of the age. And when people hear the end of the world, they think just judgment day and we're about to and Jesus is saying, I'll be with you until the end of this, this Pisces age. And we'll, we'll be going until what age? Aquarius. And mm-hmm. Jesus tells his disciples, don't be afraid. 
go into the city, you'll see a man bearing a pitcher of water, follow him into the house. Well, just to any man bearing a pitcher of water, Aquarius is the, is the water bearer. Aquarius is always pictured as a man bearing, holding a pitcher of water. So we talk about air, we talk about the bull calf, we left Taurus, mm-hmm. and then we talk about the Jews blowing the ram horn and, and Moses giving the new law of, of the age of Aries, and then Jesus ushers in the, the age of, of Pisces, mm-hmm. and then the next age after that would be the age of Aquarius, which Jesus foreshadows that in the Bible when he says, go into the city, you'll see a man uh, bearing a pitcher of water, which means we're going into the age of Aquarius. You, uh, have you ever heard this song? By this, I forget the name of the group, but it was uh, uh, the, the song. Uh, the song was called "The Age of Aquarius." The Fifth Dimension so, is what it's called. Yeah, uh, the, the the Fifth Dimension, right? Yes. Now, I just find it funny that a group would call themselves the Fifth Dimension, mm-hmm. since the Fourth Dimension is time. So, if you're outside of time, you're in a godly a a, a space where there's no space or time or anything. So if you're in the fifth dimension, that's past time. Mm-hmm. So that means you're in a heavenly or an ethereal dimension. These people were smart. And that song came out in what, 1969? Yeah, it had to be. Doesn't say, but it had to be like late 60s, early 70s. Oh, released March 1969. It was recorded in 1968. Well, if 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 you go back in time, I'm just talking to you now. This doesn't happen. <laughs> I'm just talking to you. If you go back, if you go back in time, psychedelics became big in the late sixties. It was, it hit hard in the seventies. Yeah. But psychedelics became big in the, like the late sixties. That's when like, you know, people were trying mescaline and LSD and all of these brain expanding, you know, and they understood that the next age that we were getting ready to go into in the next, maybe 100, you know, 50 to a hundred, I would say 50, yeah, maybe 50 to 100 years was the age of Aquarius. That's, that's the age we were ushering in. Why would they name that song the age of Aquarius? Dude, I, my mind right now is blown. Like the connections, like I, it's, too, I, it's too coincidental. I, because, have you ever heard of Indigo Children? The, the term sounds familiar, but I couldn't tell you what it is. What is that? So what, what year were you born in? Uh, 96. So in the 70s, when all of these, you know, people were doing these brain expanding drugs and, uh, you know, LSD and mescaline and, uh, you know, and obviously marijuana, you know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. shrooms and all of this stuff. What happened is, is they opened up a different level in consciousness. So they open up what I like to call what I've been reading is the indigo aura. And a lot of indigos started a lot of kids that were born in the 80s came in under the indigo aura, which is they call them indigo children because let's just say this. They call us the rebels. If you notice, a big portion of the world's uh, money is ran by uh, people who were born in like the 80s. Wait, what was most of, most of the successful entrepreneurs are people are the kids who were born in the eighties? All of the people that have brought over the new way of living comes like if you look at the leading. This is why they call them like like millennials and then zennials. Between like not eighty, I'm gonna say eighty three to like maybe eighty to like maybe ninety three ninety four, maybe even up to ninety six. Between that age of like between that time of like um, 
like the early 80s on up to like the mid 90s, the, the indigo started coming over on it. So I'm about to give you something really weird. If you take light and shine it through a prism, you'll get a rainbow. This is where rainbows come from. Water, if the, the light reflects through the water and you'll get a rainbow. Yeah. Well, if you look at the rainbow, the, all of the colors of the rainbow line up with the colors in your chakras. So if we, if we were completely see-through and you shined a, a prism of light through us, you would see a rainbow. Because of our chakras. Yes, because of our chakras. So each of our chakras are lined up with the, the colors of the rainbow. This is no coincidence. Well, we were operating, we're starting to operate in the indigo aura, which the indigo aura is the mind. Mm -hmm. The indigo aura is here. So you have your pineal gland and all of these things that are connected. Your pineal gland is, I think your pineal gland is connected to your indigo aura because the, um, the yeah, violet is the violet your higher self. Top, right? Like it's like over. Yeah, violet, yeah that's, that's your spiritual. That's your higher self. Yes. But, but the highest one internally that's connected to a gland. Indigo aura is when you're operating in that aura or you come from that aura, you come over here. And so, so when your parents made love or whatever and created you, you came under a certain aura. Mm -hmm. Your spirit, when you were created, you came here under a certain aura. Well, what happened is, is as this is why all humans are connected and we, you know, we all act like we're not, but we are. Well, when all of these brain expanding drugs and all of these tests were going on and people were doing mescaline and, and LSD and stuff, they opened up that aura, that spiritual aura of the indigo balance. So now the kids that came from the spiritual realm, which is over that, came directly through the indigo, which our ways of thinking was opposite of the old ways, which is why we're considered like, you ever heard... um. Uh, J. Cole's song, The Middle, Middle Child? Of course, yeah. In the, in the rap, he talks about being like in between these younger guys that rap and then like, he's like, yo, I just had, you know, I, I just chill with 21 Savage. I'm about to go meet Jigger for lunch. Like, like I'm chilling with the younger rappers, but I'm about to go chill with Jay-Z. You know what I mean? Like, he understands that like, like those kids that are in that era, that, 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 the, us that are in that, that time of, uh, like, 30 to 34, 28 to 34, that era right there. We're the ones who came over with the tie over kids. We came over with the new, with the old teachings, but in order to, we have to do the new. So we have the hardest job. We came here under the new teachings, but we have to adapt and teach the new teachings. So we're like half and half. That's what the, that, and that's what the Indigo kids job was to do once we came over as spirits we came over under under the new teachings with this new aura and that's why a lot of the the, the uh the, the indigos and the, and the millennials i looked at is oh they're rebels or you know what i mean like they're not necessarily rebels they're just the ones who we came over with the new teachings but we had we had a baggie of what was new yeah we don't conform to the old society exactly and once we opened up that new baggie and said this was the future all of the people that was before us said, you're bad. You're, you know, you're getting tattoos. You're, this, is, this goes against, and it's like, nah, we're just going into a new age, a new understanding of humanity. And it's hardest on us because we came over right in the middle. Yeah. You know what so, I mean? So, what's this, so this new generation after, say, 96 or 97, whatever, is that then the, like, that would be like the violet children or like that... And, and this, and this is why you guys are so great with manifestation. This is why success, you got to think about it. 
everything is like almost just set up for you guys. Like, you know, uh, so 10 years ago, you were 14. Mm-hmm. 10 years ago was 2010. That's a crazy aspect to think of. I'm 10 years older than you. So 10 years ago is 2010. So by the time you were 14 and like started to like understand things and everything, there was YouTube, there was social media. When I was 14, there was no YouTube. There was no cell phone. There was no, you couldn't look at a video on cell phone. There was no, uh, we had AOL video. We had Mm -hmm. dial up, but like by the time you were 14 and able to understand things, there was Wi-Fi. I come from a time where there was no Wi-Fi. Well, what was your first cell phone? And when did you get your first cell phone? I didn't get my first cell phone until I was about eight, 18. Um, it was a- yeah, so it's a difference because my first phone was when I was in fifth grade. I remember I had to like persuade my parents. And my first phone was uh, that Motorola Razor, the pink flip phone. See, I was, I was, <laughs> I was in high school when that phone came out and everybody wanted it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> So, you know, I know what a, I know how to use a landline. I know anybody know how to use a landline, but I come from when, when we were in school, we had to press nine to dial out. I don't know if you know about that. But, okay, uh, I'm not that young. I swear you think I'm still 14 here. I remember I, I remember I couldn't be on the I couldn't be on the internet when my parents were on the phone. Right? I couldn't do that. Okay. Um I had AIM. Um like there, there, I was like, I'm literally, when I say I'm torn between like the middle of like your generation and the younger generation, right. because like, I really, like, I remember both types of lives. This, like, I really was like in that middle, like my life didn't revolve around my, um, my iPod or whatever, but like, I still had one in middle school, which you didn't have that stuff till high school. So until I graduated. <laughs> so yeah, like I literally am in the middle. So, so the, the point I'm making is, is the new, the, the kids are like your generation, what they call like generation Z or, 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 or Gen Z. Is that what they call you guys? It's like, like, I, like now, like I, I think it would be Gen Z millennial. Like we're right on. Yeah, the- you're like on the border of almost a millennial because millennials, any, I, I think they said anybody born after 83 is a millennial, 83 yeah. or, or something like that. So anything, I, I would be considered a millennial because I was born late 86. So you're a millennial. You're like the, the you're yeah, the like, millennial. I'm one of the first like uh, Indigos to come over. Like if you look at Chris Brown, his last album was called Indigo. Yes. Wait, is that why? Don't tell me that's why. It's a reason behind all of these things. It's a reason when you, when, when you, uh, but see Chris Brown is another intelligent individual. He's not just like a singer and a, like this guy, he reads He's very into like the spiritual aspect of things. So when he does different things in his albums and stuff, there's a reason behind it. I think it's an understanding that's so beautiful that I don't want to understand it. I think understanding it is understanding that you'll never completely understand it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best way to put it, really. Thank you so much, Willie, for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. We'll definitely stay in touch. Thank you. I'm sorry I'm in traffic out here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Of course. Of course. And I definitely would love to have you back on sooner than later. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Egg weights are the only hand weights in the world that conform to your body's natural motion. 
These weights are a boxing breakthrough. The palm-centered weights are the most balanced, compact, and ergonomic shadow boxing weights in the world. They are specifically designed to flow with any striking form and are amazing tools for building endurance, power, speed, and mental toughness. Egg weights are now the standard for Olympic athletes, professional, and public boxing clubs across the USA and Europe. Get yours now at eggweights.com and use code Rebecca Ruber for 10% off. Hydrate, energize, and sleep better with Liquid IV using the science of CTT. CTT enhances rapid absorption of our wellness ingredients into the bloodstream. 50 million servings have been sold. They are gluten-free, no artificial sweeteners, they're vegan, and U.S. order ship-free. I personally have been using Liquid IV since 2019, and all their products not only taste delicious, but they are highly effective. They're great for hydrating before, during, or after an intense workout, needing an energy boost during that 2.30 p.m. crash, and their sleeping products will have you falling asleep within 20 minutes and have you waking up with zero grogginess. Use code RebeccaRuber25 for 25% off your whole order and free U.S. shipping. Goalie gummies are gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, and gelatin-free. 100% natural and plant-based, get all the age-old benefits of apple cider vinegar in a delicious gummy. On top of having the benefits traditional ACV has, Goalie gummies have additional benefits including superfoods, good taste, good smell, better for your teeth enamel, and they're easy to take. Use code RebeccaRubert for 5% off your next purchase. Remember, every purchase using these codes helped the show tremendously, so please consider checking out these products. And if you decide to purchase, take a picture of your order and tag me at Inside the Ring Official for me to repost on my Instagram story. Thank you.